0: Hey guys, hope everybody's doing good, Um, keeping well and, you know, avoiding COVID, I suppose. I I did actually think um, recently when I wonder when will be the last time that like, not the last time ever, but like, obviously I would say I'm going to start again. I wonder how many times a day at the moment we mention the word COVID and it would probably surprise you. It might be like 20. I don't really know. And then I wonder when when eventually it will get to the point that we no longer kind of talk about it on a on a regular basis. And obviously at the minute, that's impossible because it still is so kind of like rife I suppose would be the word that we could use to describe the current situation like COVID is rife it is everywhere it is um which is a bit of a disaster and it's obviously putting a lot of people's lives on hold and you know I kind of mentioned last time on the podcast that I had spent um the last probably 10 days to um yeah probably last 10 days kind of very worried about um catching COVID and then I've I've been tested four times in the last 10 days, and you know every test has came back negative, but altitude's confusing, and, and I guess I'm, I'm going to go on and speak about this, but what's really interesting is altitude's confusing because I have that sort of, I don't have asthma, but I have that breathing issue that I, I've talked about before, it's called EILO and it's a throat issue, and it means that during exercise, the throat can swell and get inflamed and get upset, and it's why you'll hear me trying to clear my throat, but there's nothing in my throat. It's just my throat is swollen. So, training at altitude is tough. It makes you tired. (laughs) You know, you're you're drowsy. My breathing might be bad because of my sore throat, and I lived with, um, for five days, I lived with um, three confirmed positive tests, and so I guess you could forgive me for assuming or worrying that, you know, I might actually end up getting a sort of positive test or getting symptoms, and I woke up Monday, I felt tired. Sunday, I had actually decided to rest. I I was really stressed. Um, I've just been really... Where I'm going to bring this to, actually, which is really, really interesting, I've been really, like, really stressed, really unsure... I actually have nothing to be stressed about, right? Because I'm so lucky, you know, like I, I could afford to get a hotel, I could afford to get an Airbnb, I was safe, I had a roof over my head, all I had to do was some training. If I wanted to train, you know, nobody was forcing me to train, and and in reality I had nothing to be stressed about, absolutely nothing. And I was making a big deal out of nothing. Um but it's amazing the power of like the brain when it sort of convinces you that you should be stressed and you should be really worked up and basically, what had happened the the day that I retired well like like got really drunk and tweeted about retirement, and then the next day I woke up and I realized there was there was some substance to it, and you know i I' had been struggling with like no races and I had been struggling with this new version of running where where there'd be no crowds and and maybe no Olympics and all this kind of stuff. Um, I realized that I had to mentally make a decision that was like, okay, you're feeling a bit hard done by, you're, you're rehearsing this idea that <clears throat> this isn't what I signed up for. And what either, what either needs to happen right now to, to not waste any more time is you need to decide to either... Retire because this isn't the sport that you signed up for, this isn't what you wanted, etc. etc. <clears throat> Sorry about the throat. <clears> throat. Or you need to make a decision that says, I know exactly what I'm about to sign up for, and I'm going to commit to that. And if races happen, they happen. If they don't, they don't. If there's fans, there's fans. If there's not, there's not. Right. So I then made that decision. And over the next lot of months, I moved on, I committed to it, I didn't whine about it, I didn't complain about it, I just focused on, you know, what I could control, and um, I put things in place that I, I could control, I guess you could say, um, and, you know, cracked on. What has now happened in the last 10 days to two weeks is I've left the United Kingdom, London, and I had an idea in my head of how that would unfold, I would, I would fly, I would arrive in America, I would, I would go to my agent's house, life would go on as normal, just the way it used to when I came to Flagstaff, etc., etc., okay? That doesn't materialize, because <clears throat> through stuff that I don't really need to talk about because it's not important um, that obviously doesn't unfold. I go back to feeling a little bit hard done by. I'm like, oh my God, I didn't go home for Christmas. And I booked a business class flight to try to avoid COVID and, you know, blah, 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 blah. And, and then here you are sitting in a hotel room, uh, 10 days later after you've flown, feeling a little bit hard done by. Um, and, and I realized that like all this sort of like stress and, and maybe worry about COVID and all this, I was like, you know what? Basically, you need to fucking catch a hold of yourself. You need to get over the fact that, you know, your life in Flagstaff is going to look a little bit different from what it used to, the the previous four to five visits. The entire world right now has a different outlook, different, you know, you walk down the street, people have masks on. So it, it felt very similar to that day after, when I basically retired, and I needed to mentally snap out of the, I'm feeling hard done by, you know, I'm, I'm feeling blah, 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 and you need to just accept the situation, so I guess I sort of tried to do that Sunday, um, got to the sort of point where I was like, okay, you know, this is a situation, you're probably going to have to live by yourself for quite a bit you're probably going to have to train by yourself for quite a bit that's frustrating because you probably went to flagstaff yes for altitude but also for the group culture to have like has my agent there at sessions maybe on the bike etc etc and so i had to accept that it was going to be a little different but that i still valued altitude right and so <clears throat> I literally cannot leave Flagstaff until I've done probably at least two months of decent training and and i and I'll I'm just gonna have a sip of coffee. So I did a pretty good week the first week that I was here, but then I woke up I didn't run on Sunday, <clears throat> I put it down to stress, which might you might it might sound crazy, but I I have a, an ability to really work myself up and then end up really tired. Like, I had to have a nap. I think I had a two-hour nap because of stress. I booked a flight. I then canceled the flight. I was going to fly home that day, etc., etc. et, cetera, et cetera. Um, And then I woke up Monday and I thought my breathing was bad. I, I, I swear to God you can convince yourself of symptoms, which I I, I find, like, mad because I don't think I'm soft. But maybe I'm softer than I think. I don't really know. I woke up Monday. I felt tired. Like, I felt like I was a bit like, (sighs) a bit like chesty. Wasn't really sure. I went for a run. I tried to like run at a pretty good pace and and I was struggling. And then because I couldn't run at a pretty good pace, I was getting frustrated. And then I swear my heart rate was just getting higher. My breathing was getting worse. And I ended up just like stopping on the run. And then I ran a bit of the run back and then I ended up walking back to the house. And I obviously at this point, you know, you're, you're five or six days in isolation, having been exposed to three people with positive tests. I'd I, I convinced myself on Monday that that was the start of my symptoms, tiredness, tough breathing. But if anyone's ever been to altitude, feeling out of breath, you know, it's it's fucking common symptoms at altitude, like it's you know, it's seven thousand feet, like it's there is no fucking oxygen, you are gonna feel out of breath, and you are gonna feel tired if you've sorta done a couple of decent sessions the week before. So all in all, Monday was a pretty shit day. I ended up going to bed about one PM thinking I was gonna have a nap, and probably the stress of everything and all the rest of it, I slept all the way to like eight o'clock that night, woke up, had a shower, and then went back to bed and then woke up the next day. Now, the next day, I felt a lot better. And I had done a COVID test on Monday. And so I actually got my results. I didn't run on Tuesday because I wanted to wait for my results. I went for a walk. And there was nothing wrong. I was on the phone to my mom. I was really chatty, everything. She, she was convinced, you know, I was fine because of how chatty I was. And um, and so it turns out I was fine, which is absolutely incredible. Um, it means I completely imagined symptoms on Monday and had, had literally convinced myself. And, and the reason I wanted to mention that in the podcast is because the power of the brain and subconscious, subconscious I, I don't know if I'm saying that right, um, is so, so powerful. And that's why we have to be really careful with that inner voice that is convincing us of like whether we're in good shape, whether we're fit, whether we're not fit, whether we're ready, whether we're not. It has the power to dictate. So I wear the Aura ring, which tracks um, body temperature, heart rate variability. And it's supposed to be a really good predictor of if you're starting to get COVID or COVID symptoms, fever, um, respiratory rate, which is breathing rate, body temperature, heart rate, and the ring had even started to show signs of body temperature going up a little bit respiratory rate going up a little bit heart rate variability dropping down a bit but if you if you think about the symptoms of stress they're all linked to stress as well so if you're causing yourself stress and anxiety and worry body temperatures going to go up breathing rate going to go up Heart rate variability is gonna go down. And so it's all kind of linked, it can all be explained. Um but yeah, that that that's kind of where I'm going with that. We need to be very careful with what we are what we're doing to feed the subconscious or our psychology, that is then our inner voice that's talking to us, okay? Here's how I snapped out of it. I did a COVID test, and the COVID test came back negative, right? I've done four COVID tests in 10 days, so that's pretty conclusive, okay? So what sometimes you need to build into your training program or your, your life management and all things like this is it's just like, it's just like journaling and journaling things you have, to, you, you have that you're grateful for. When you actually write things down and you remind yourself, then it's very difficult for your inner voice to be negative. You know, if you're able to write down, I have a family, I have a loving family, I can afford to buy running shoes, I have a steady job where I know other people have been, you know, laid off or even if you have been laid off, maybe you have some savings or if you don't have savings and you've been laid off, you might have friends or family that are there to support you versus maybe other people that don't. And there's always things, concrete things that we can be grateful for that then reminds us, you know, actually, yes, yes. This is a pretty shitty situation. Yes, there's things that I could probably be negative about and I could complain about and people would probably listen and they would probably agree with me. But also, it's nice that I have a few things that I can be grateful for. And I just remembered I forgot my running shoes to warm up. (laughs) That's quite cool. Anyway, I'm again, back to things to be grateful for. I think there's a brand new pair of shoes in a box in the back of the truck that I picked up yesterday. So back to things to be grateful for. But that's where I'm going with that. The inner voice is very, very powerful. Start to get control of yours and make sure that it's it's feeding you with honest and factual feedback sometimes rather than just emotional doubt and worry and anxiety and all these things because that's no good to anybody and you, you really don't, you really just don't need that or, or you know, shouldn't want that in your life. Um, so I pretty much cracked on, I got the negative test and how I know that like my psychology's changed and, and um, I'm, I'm going to be a better athlete is that basically when the test came back negative, I was obviously happy sorry, Alexis talking to me in the truck. I I was happy, but I was also angry that I wasted a Monday and a Tuesday. And that's not like me. Normally I'd just be like, okay, we'll just crack on where I was literally on my run last night. And a part of me was angry because I felt a bit hard done by that. Like, not only had I worried for seven to 10 days that I might get COVID and, and all these expenses, I was like, fuck, like, I could have done a fucking good session on Tuesday and now I'm, I'm actually, I've fallen a bit behind my like rivals or my competition because I had to sit around and wait for a negative test. Now, obviously that's the least of my worries because it's absolutely fantastic that another negative test came back and that I'm feeling good and I'm positive and I'm healthy. Um, but yeah, I was actually really pumped about that because I'm not normally like that. Whereas I've, I've started to get like, greedy and excited again about like more training and harder training and, and really trying to when you perform at a level that you've never performed at before, obviously something happens. You 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 see that you have this potential to be to be better, to be faster, and, and that's really good and that's really exciting and that's really fun. But then what, what happens is there's this there's this added pressure that the next time, the expectation from yourself in both training and your next race goes up, okay? And so why, why my race result at London and Larne was probably better than ever before probably comes back to the uh, audio book that I listened to after London and Larne but it made a lot of sense because when I went to Font Remo Altitude, um the first run we did, it just it just defied science. I remember um, my coach at the time, Robert Demmead, I I I had, you know, sort of messaged and I'd sort of told him roughly what we had done in that sort of first week. And, you know, he had he had messaged me back and said something like, Oh yeah, I guess I guess you were able to do that, as in you were able to train at that intensity and that level straight away because you'd slept in the altitude tent for two weeks. I hadn't slept in an altitude tent. The altitude tent didn't exist. I basically got off a plane. Now, sorry, that that doesn't make Rob wrong. Rob, massive amount of intelligence, massive amount of experience. And so he was right. In thinking that the only reason an athlete would train that hard right away would be if they had been careful, they had done an altitude tent to help with acc- like acclimation. And I'm not, I'm not going to move on here to start suggesting this is what athletes should do. But I think to create extraordinary results, and extraordinary times, and and fast times, and all the rest of it. You, you need to do extraordinary things in training. It's that simple. And so we get off a plane. Andrew Butchart picks me up from the airport. We drive up the mountain. We go for a run. And we're we're pretty much running six-minute mile pace from the start. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, like my heart rate's had no time to adjust here. It's flying. But we just – it just became normal. You know, when we went to runs, I'd show up for a run – And, you know, we knew the same faces were going to show up and you just knew the run was going to be hard. Not because it was a session day, not because it was, you know, that was just the situation. We just we made every day count every day for probably five, six, seven weeks counted Bar, bar only a very few days and see the days that. There was a couple of days where I held back. I was a bit tired Um, and maybe my hip flexors were bad when I had sort of like done a bit of damage to my hip flexors. Like you were kind of praised for those days because people knew it wasn't laziness. You were holding back because your body had given you a clear sign that said like you should hold back. And I guess you need to have both traits. You need to be able to push when you can. And, and enjoy it. And you need to break the norm. So to be really fucking good, you need to... You, what, what felt like hard work today or yesterday needs to not be hard work tomorrow. And the only way for that to happen is to keep repeating what you've been doing until it doesn't feel like hard work anymore. And so the first time you go to a five-mile tempo run, it feels like pretty hard work. And then the next time you go do it, it feels a bit easier. You might even be a bit faster, but the heart rate's the exact same. But somehow mentally it doesn't feel as tough. And that's the power of the human. That's that's just being fucking human, which is fucking awesome. It's awesome that when you do, when you repeat the same thing, it just becomes less stressful each time you do it and less difficult. And so... What basically happened in font Rameau is the first week of training felt really tough because it was like, oh, my God, we're going to run fast again and it's going to be hard and it's altitude and there's going to be hills. And, and then it kind of just got to the point where I remember showing up to runs thinking, you know, well, fuck, if these people aren't going to push, I'm pushing. And it just became what I did. You know, and, and that happened a few times, whereas, you know, I think, I think, Butchie had, like, had upset his calf a little bit, and normally Butchie would have been the one who's probably learned enough that knows how to get to like an Olympic final or a World Champs final, and, and he'd have been probably the one making the days count, and and so if Butchie wasn't there, you probably might have thought, oh yeah, today can be a bit easier, but no, I was just like, I need to learn from the fact that Butchie has taught me this, and I'm going to carry that with me for the next you know, six seven weeks, whether he's the one there provoking it or we're both doing it, um, and that was really fun. That was really like, but that's the that's the power of being human and the human brain. You can, it's not like a trick. It's just that when you repeat things, it doesn't become as hard. And I guess like somewhere someone along the way probably taught you that. You know, you've got your hard days and then you've got your easy days and that's how it should be. And I, I kind of like, I'm going to tell you now that I think being a professional runner or competing with the best guy, I wish that was the case. I wish you did just have to work hard, you know, two or three days a week and the other days you could just run at a very leisurely pace. But the trouble with that is, under that system, a lot of athletes in the world can do that. And I mean a lot. You're talking millions. Millions of athletes can handle three hard days and the rest easy, right? But what millions of athletes can't do is pretty much make every day pretty much count. And and that's because of injury reasons, and that's because of not just injury, it's fucking hard work to go and kind of push every day. Like it, it's taxing, it's taxing on the body, it's taxing on the mind. Um, and and then on top of that, it's not just the running. So if you've done a session on a Tuesday morning, and then you've done gym on a Tuesday afternoon, and then you've done a recovery run on Tuesday night, because that's absolutely acceptable. You don't have to double up on the hard efforts. And then you wake up Wednesday and you're pretty tired on Wednesday and you've got to do like a medium long run. It's it's a lot easier to just go do that medium long run at a, you know, a relaxed intensity and maybe meet a group. And and maybe there's a group going at seven minute mile pace. It's a lot harder to go do that medium long run by yourself over like maybe hilly terrain and, and push push the effort to pretty you know a pretty solid piece, maybe six fifteen, maybe six twenty, and and it just requires a lot more mental concentration, etc. etc. But you can tell that over a seven or eight week block, why that would soon start to pay off if you're starting to make not every single run that you do count, but there's a couple of runs a week that you come back from that run and you think to yourself, yeah, that counted. I'm, I'm a little bit fitter having done that. Rather than, you know, if you race a marathon at even, let's say, 5.30 pace. you race a marathon at 5.30 pace and you come back from a 12-mile run at 7.15 average, you know, do you, do you think that counted? Do you think that helps you run 530 ps for 26 miles on race day. I just don't think so. I think for a, I think for a period of time it does. Okay, let's not, let's not forget that for a period of time, you need to develop um, cardiovascular endurance. I, I'm not going to try and sound smart here because I'm I'm really not going to be smart using these terms. But for, I'm going to say five years. There's a benefit to just running, okay? There's also a benefit to just running for recovery. If you need to recover, flush blood through the muscles, you know, oxygen around the body, detoxing the muscles a little bit, and and as we call it, a shakeout, getting lactic out of your legs, and and this kind of stuff. But when you're in that eight to ten week period that you're building for a marathon, it probably gets to the point, and it's probably useful to be making the days count right but here's the catch so the catch would be what you probably need to do is tone back some of your session days so on your session days you're not absolutely destroying yourself so that you're on your hands and knees and you're knackered what a lot of people are doing is getting to the point on session days where they're so tired that when they wake up the next day, they're they're literally not capable of like pushing that easier day or or making it count or making it a little bit steady because they're 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 fucked, you know, they're knackered. Um, and I think what you need to be able to do is combine both. So I think you need to be able to tone back session days a little bit, not in volume, just in intensity. So go to your session, get it done. I'm going to say every third or fourth session, you can do it a little bit harder and and push that little bit harder, you know, find that little bit of extra motivation to kind of really give it a go, especially key sessions, specific marathon sessions or half marathon or 10K. You know, some days it's important to make sessions count. And then obviously the next day you're not going to push that run. But I would be a big sort of, I'm going to. I think to be to push to that next level, you need to be willing to to make your week count a little bit more if you if you think about it right, I am a hundred percent sure my mum i you know i I got a treadmill for the for the house and and you know my my mum's been running on this treadmill and she's got to the point where she can run five k a day um and I'm certain that in you know the best part of a a year from now or my mum can get to the point where she can, you know, just go for a run. Right. And so that's why I question what makes you think you can be really good and compete at the highest level by like just going for runs and not making the runs count. I think there's a time and place for just going for a run. And I think it's very social. And I think amongst running clubs, it's very, very important. Um, Absolutely. No doubt about that. I'm a I'd be a massive like advocate, is what you could say of that. You know, just going for a leisurely run, chatting. But it can also be very social that the first hour of your run is pretty leisurely and pretty chatty, and then there's nothing wrong with the last half an hour to an hour, just being a bit faster, pushing each other, making each other work up some of the hills. And running's kind of got to a place where you know, if you went for a big group run. And somebody was pushing you a little bit and and making you breathe a bit harder than you wanted to. And you'd, you'd probably actually get a little bit pissed off. And you'd probably actually like almost be a little bit annoyed. But I remember having this conversation with Evan Yeager in St. Moritz like two years ago. And I basically said, if somebody drops you on a run or they make you work a bit, at the end of that run, you should thank them. You should get to the point where someone testing your fitness or pushing you a little bit. If anything, it just humbles you a little bit. And you get to the end of that run and you say, hey, thanks for reminding me that running is really fucking hard work. you know." And, and even when you think you're fit, you still probably have room for progress. And so that's what, I, that's what I was thinking. I was out my run last night and we're always thinking... You know more miles. If I if I did more miles, I'd be better, and 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 things like this. But remember back to I think it was 2018, and I was reading all about the Japanese, and I really believe unless you're going to go way over the top and run like 150 to 200 mile a week like the Japanese do, you cannot just jog, jogging and and you know if it's two minutes per mile slower than your marathon pace you know, I think all it's good for is recovery. I don't think it's building fitness. And sports scientists can probably come out and like, like I don't know, destroy me and tell me that yes, it actually is. And and remember that I'm saying in the first five, probably five to eight years of, of running, there probably is a benefit to just running. But I think you eventually plateau. And And there's a reason that Millions of people aren't running world-class times. And that's probably because millions of people are following the typical hard day, twice a week, easy day the rest of the time. Um, and I think under that system, it's probably the safest way for people that don't have time. If you start pushing on a daily basis, the first thing is going to happen is your body's going to start complaining your calves, your your quads, your, you might pick up a few injuries. But I, I don't see injuries as like, injuries is just feedback. Injuries are your body telling you that certain muscle groups or a certain muscle in your body isn't strong enough to handle what you're trying to get it to do. And that's just feedback. That means you need to put time in in the gym. It means you might maybe have to see a physio to get a rehab program. Injuries aren't like, oh, my God, injury, ah, like, I need to go back to the two days hard and, and five days easy. No, you know, you you just have to change it up a bit. Like, you know, it, like if you're cooking spaghetti bolognese and you add, like, too much veg and it doesn't taste nice, well, you know, that's just like an injury. Don't add as much veg next time. And so it's just feedback. And that's important. And you're going to go through periods where, you know, this feedback is important and, and this feedback dictates maybe what, what you do in future, and, um, and, you know, you just have to be okay with that. It has to not be such a, I'm not telling people to get injured. Please listen to what I'm saying. Listen to your body's feedback. If you wake up with, you know, your quads are tired, don't go and push the run. Write that feedback down. Quads are tired. Take a few easy days. Stretch your quads. Maybe get a massage on your quads. Put a rehab strengthening program in place. Strengthen quads. And when you've done that for a couple of weeks, try again. And then if you can have – you're basically, for a lot of the time as an athlete, you're training to be able to train, right? Eventually, in the ideal world, I think someone like Chris Linsky, look, up, look up Chris up Chris Salinsky had got to the place where he realized – you know what? I'm a bit bigger than other athletes. I'm a bit stronger than other athletes. And so what I'm able to do is I'm able to push pretty hard most days. And I'm going to use that to my advantage. And so by being able to push pretty hard most days, Chris Zielinski does, you know, a, a block of training that leads to him in breaking 27 minutes for 10K. And you know what? It's that simple. He might have been training his whole life to get to the point where he could handle that one training block that built upon years and years and layers and layers and it built upon all this previous hard work and all this previous experience and and creates a sub twenty seven minute 10k. And so that's it. That's it's it's that simple. I didn't even know I was gonna talk about that today. But that's what I was thinking on my run last night, that I need to – in, in Font remote, me and Butchie were chatting on a run, and I was like, I think to be good, you, you just need to do something different to other people. You know, you need to be known for something different. I can tell you that the, the, the idea I have of Butchie is if Butchie says to me, do you want to go for a run? I know it's going to be a pretty hard run because I know Butchie doesn't fuck about. I know Butchie doesn't jog along. So the the probably the 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 opinion I have of someone like Butchie is I know he's willing to fucking work. That's it, you know. And 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 you become known of like having little traits. And I guess to be different and to separate yourself from the pack, you need to be known for something, whether it's. Oh, you don't want to be with that guy, you know, if you're on a hilly run because he smashes the hills. Or you don't want to be with that guy on a on a Wednesday medium-long run because, you know, every third mile he runs five-minute mile pace. You just – you can write your own story. You can – you like, to, to be good, I think you need to have – there's a reason. And then the next time you stand on a start line, you just know people weren't willing to do what you were willing to do. And I remember watching a Team Sky documentary and Bradley Wiggins talking about the training block they would just put in. And he pretty much said, for anyone to beat me, they would need to have trained. He's like, I I know the the block I just did. And he said, so for anyone to beat me, they'd need to have really committed themselves. And if they did, fair play to them, because I know how hard my training block was. And I don't really think... I've ever stood on a start line and really thought, because if I average like 90, 95 mile a week, and there's no, don't get me wrong, I look back at that training we did in France, and there was maybe five or six long runs between 16 and, you know, 21 mile, where maybe like mile five, someone like fucking Ben Connor the big tank, is like dropping a 508, and I'm thinking, fuck me, Ben, and it was killing me. But it was so so good for me, and I absolutely loved it. Um, but I look back at that block of training, and I'm like, wow, like that was tough. But and then there's no doubt in my mind why it created the results it created. But I've never really stood on a start line and thought like I've done a similar training block to, uh, to an Eloise Kipchugu or uh, or you know the 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 main bulk or or pack of. Ethiopian and Kenyan and runners and East African runners that I'm going to compete against because I know they do 110 to 120 mile a week at, at you know 8,000 feet or, or higher altitude in Ethiopia and so I guess whatever gives you the idea that that you're going to beat them and that's and that's something that I guess I need to work on and I need to I guess with the strength stuff in the gym for the first time ever, I might start standing on a start line thinking, well, I might not have done as much miles. I might not have like lived at altitude, but actually I am at altitude. But maybe for the first time ever, I might be able to stand on a start line. And I don't know how relevant it is, but at least I might be able to think to myself, well, I don't think that Ethiopian could squat 100 kilograms, and I can. So at least I have one, one advantage at this stage over that athlete. And then you can bring other advantages to the table, like maybe you can run at 200 meters in 26 seconds, and and maybe some of those guys can't. Um, And then you have to start playing catch up in the other areas. And I think until you stand on a start line with greater assets strength endurance etc etc this is all pretty much common sense but yet it's amazing that we probably forget this and and we can be frustrated when we don't win or, or we get beat until you stand on a start line and know for absolute certainty that you've you've matched some of these guys training you know you're you're as fast as them over the half marathon or as fast as your competition over the half marathon and you know you know that like you did, I, I spoke to. I was on a long run with Bashir Abdi, and he's ran like two four for a marathon. And and you know he was talking about in a in a build up to the marathon. He likes to have done. I I think he said eight or six forty k runs. Six forty k runs. I didn't do one forty k run for London. That's twenty five miles. My longest long run was twenty one miles, I believe. So I guess. What makes someone like me believe that I can be, like, am I, by not doing those 40k runs, am I literally thinking that I'm more talented? I'm more talented than these guys, so I don't need to do six 40k runs. I actually don't think it's anything about that. I think it's just bloody hard because Bashir Abdi doesn't do six 40k runs at a leisurely pace. You know, He works hard. Them 40k runs are going to be at altitude, and you're going to be averaging between 5:15 to 5:30 per mile, no doubt about it. So look, that's what you're up against. That's what the competition's doing. That's where you have to get to a place that you know you're either doing similar or you're doing better, and that's how you become competitive. So I'm. I've just done a drive. I'm going to do a little bit of tempo. It'll probably feel quite tough because I haven't really done anything hard in a couple of days and I had self-diagnosed myself with COVID. Um, So it's going to probably feel pretty tough. Um, But look, I'm on a nice little road loop. The sun is shining. Flagstaff, I've just left snow behind me. So hopefully this goes pretty well. And then on Saturday, I'm going to get on the track and do some kilometre reps because I want to see... It's been quite a while since I've been on the track. You know, I was doing K's in Bushy Park on the dirt. And then I did K's last week up in Flagstaff on the dirt. So I guess it's about time I sort of got on the track and, and started to sort of see from what I've been doing on the dirt, is it going to translate to, you know, you'd assume that you're going to be slightly faster on the track and that the effort might feel, you know, a little bit easier on the track. But I guess we'll soon find out. Well, we'll find out on Saturday. Um, But yeah, so look, thanks for listening. Um, I hope you found some of that useful. Um, And yeah, take care. Scully.